Man, I'm excited. I, I, uh, it's been a good week. It's been a different week. Bethany and Sailor are in Paris, a bunch of punks. Um, and so they are living it up and left me here with four other children whom I love. I feel like I need to say that out loud. I think when you say things out loud, it helps you process it. No, I'm kidding. Man, we had a, uh, it, the last two weeks have been really good and really strange for a lot of, a lot of good reasons. Um, we had Fuse last week. Um, or not last week, week before last. I'm off because we missed a Sunday because we were bamboozled by Barry. Um, we were expecting 50 mile an hour winds, and so we, like everybody else, canceled church, and then it was drizzling the next morning. So uh, anyway, I missed you guys. Kobe and I were talking earlier. It was really strange to not be here last Sunday, but we had a great time with our families, and, and so a break is good. Um, but I'm a little thrown off. So if, if I say things in reference to a timeline today, uh, and I reference last week, just skip just skip back one more week for me and for you. So Fuge came, um, if you've made any laps around the church, um, nothing that was major, I would say, that was done here, um, but a lot of little things that just have been on our list for the last couple of years, and, and, and so it was really incredible, and, and I wanted to share with you guys that one of the groups that came, we, we just did one week this year, in the last couple of years we've done two weeks in a row. We did one week this, this year because Bethany and, and Sailor were going out of town, but one of the groups that came requested specifically to come back here to our church. Um, and that was significant and important to me because what it, what it meant, what they shared with us, what their youth pastor shared with us, is that they were so affected by the ministry of this church in this community and, and the testimony that we shared with them that they had to come back and get some more. And we're going we're gonna to dive into that a little bit deep, leap, deeper later today. Uh, but I just wanted you guys to know that and be encouraged by that. that the, yes. So a huge team that came last year called Fuge this year and said, can we go back to that same church? And yeah. That's awesome. And he's, he's talking about a team that worked with the children. Uh, he said he called uh, Glenn. He's a friend of his. They went to school together and uh, called and said, can we come back during the year? So, man, God's doing some awesome things to this body. And I wanted to share that. A lot of times you guys aren't privy to that. You know, you're not in on those conversations. But I wanted y'all to know uh, the impact that this church is not just having in this community, but the way that we're living life, the way that we're, we're being obedient to God is having far uh, reaching ramifications. So Fuge was awesome. Uh, had a, tr a crew that went to Romania. They'll be back. Everybody will be back in the next two weeks or so. So I'm looking forward to hearing some testimonies about what God was doing there. Glenn and I got to have a brief conversation this morning. Uh, and then Katie Furman, I didn't even know she was leaving, went to Africa. Where'd you go, Katie? Is she in here? Yeah. Where'd you go, Katie? I'm glad she said it. Malaba? Awesome. Sweet. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing some stuff from Katie, too. So, Kaylee and Cater in Guatemala. So this is the time, <laughs> apparently, for Nicaragua. Okay. Awesome. Well, so we got people all over the place. So I'm really excited about the next couple of three or four weeks coming to be able to hear some of those testimonies of what God's doing all over the world. Uh, and it's so encouraging to me that we have such a small body. Um, but yet God sends us to so many places to, to spread the gospel. So really, really exciting. Before we get started, if you'd like an outline, there's either one in the Faith Life app or there's some on the back table back there. If you'd like a hard copy that you can scribble on, um, there's some fill-in-the-blank outlines back there. So to kind of give some context, we've got a lot of new faces here today or some that have been out for a while. Uh, we've been going this part of the year through the book of Exodus. And the point of our study has been to, to look at what God was doing in the life of Moses and Aaron and the life of Israel 
And to, to pull some application, God has told us as we study through this that we need to put ourselves in the place of Moses and Aaron. A lot of times when we read this story, we put ourselves in the place of the Israelites and we, we pull some application from that. But for us specifically, God as a church has called us to join Him to set people free. And as we just talked about, we're going all over the world to do that, but we're also doing it right here. And so as we've studied this book, we look at the interactions that God has with Moses and that Moses has with the people of Israel to learn what it means for us to be obedient to God, to join Him, to set people free. And so last week we did the first part of Exodus chapter 19, and we talked about a lot of different things, but we talked about how God calls Israel to Himself so that they can know Him. And we see that happen a lot in the book of Exodus, that God calls Israel from a place that they are comfortable, a place where they have been for a while, to a new place that's uncomfortable so that they can grow in their knowledge of who He is. And when we talk about knowledge, we talk about that Greek word, gnosko, that means knowledge by experience. So it's not just wisdom that they are gaining or information that they are gaining through a story, but it's knowledge that they are gaining as they walk with God. And we want that for ourselves. And we talk about how God moves us, He calls us to action so that we can know Him, that Part of the purpose of us joining God to set people free, it's not just about the other people. That's a big part of it, but it's also about us. It's about what God is doing in our lives as he moves us into uncomfortable situ situations. We looked at the expectation and the natural response to walking in faith is obedience to God. That we are obedient to God as we walk with him daily, as we spend time with him, that the natural response to that is to obedience. We talked about how the giving of God's covenant is unconditional. But enjoyment of that covenant is conditional. It's conditional upon our obedience. And we talk about as we're making disciples that it's important that we share the whole gospel. That it's not just Jesus died on the cross to save you for your sins. That's a big part of it. But it's, it's about a relationship right now. It's not just about something that's going to happen in the future. And that we need to tell people as we're sharing the gospel that it doesn't end with just walking an aisle. It doesn't just end with getting baptized that that relationship with Jesus is the beginning of a lifelong relationship, a relationship of growth and of movement as we follow Him. And we looked at some scripture where Jesus says, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And, and we focused in there on that there is action that is, that is expected from, from God. Okay? And then we talked about how God uses established leadership to communicate to the people. Um, we, we shared with you guys, the elders, you know, we've been praying and we've been talking through the church about moving into um, deacons and deaconesses and, and uh, appointing those within the body. And so just a reminder, I know we missed a week last week, but please be continuing to pray about that. I've got a list compiled, um, so we're going to have that open for one more week, and then we'll have a two-week period of, of praying and affirming these, these men and women that have been called to be in leadership as a deacon. And for those of you who have not been here for that part, if you haven't listened to the podcast, a deacon is a lead servant. It's not a person that is in charge of making decisions in the church in terms of how the church functions, which is not typical in Southern Baptist churches. But the focus that we see in Scripture is in the, the places where deacons and deaconesses are mentioned are places of service, where they are lead servants, okay? And that as they do that, there's a synergy that comes about in the church from all of us knowing the role that God has for us, operating in those roles as He leads us, Okay? So today we're going to jump in, we're going to finish out Exodus chapter 19, and we're going to pull some application from that. And today as we read through this, I don't want to focus so much on the, the specific things that God's doing, but I want to look at the application, the reason behind what God is saying to Israel and to Moses and the reason that he's having them do this. So let's jump into Exodus chapter 19, we're going to read verses 10 through 25. The Lord said to Moses, 
Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for, all the, for the people all around saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people and washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke went up from it, the smoke like smoke from a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priest and the people break through and come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went out to the people and told them. Okay, so again, as we've gone through this study, we're looking at, at God using Moses and Aaron to communicate to the Israelites that they are to be set free. And then we've tried to see the interactions between God and Moses and Israel. And in this story today, in this text, we see God giving Moses very specific instructions. And then, and then we also see in this story Moses going down and telling those very specific instructions to the, to the Israelites. And it's really important for us to notice that God is speaking and Moses is saying exactly what God has said. That's significant for us. Okay? Our intentions as we study through this is to apply what we see God doing through Moses. Okay? We want to see what God has for us as a church. And at the beginning of this study, we talked about and we asked God that he would motivate us to join him. Okay? Our desire has not been to just do something for God to create a, a movement or a program, but simply to join God, to say, God, what is it that you're doing, and how are you calling me personally to join you in that work? How are you calling us as a body to join you in that work? Okay? And I want to make sure that in the midst of, of studying all this story that we don't lose focus of what God is doing. I don't want us to lose focus of the entire story of what God is doing in the life of Israel. We, we start back... In, in the book of Genesis, Russ did a great job of sharing with us the, the totality of the story that God created us in the beginning to love us and to have a relationship with. And this story is about God redeeming the sin that's in our life, about God setting up the parameters in which are necessary for us to be able to restore that, or for Him to restore that relationship with us. Okay? All of this has been done to show God's people who He is and the level of love that He has for them. Okay? So God is about to reveal Himself in a big way. He's about to show Israel the truth about who they were intended to be before the fall. In Exodus chapter 20, we're going to get to the Ten Commandments, which God is laying out some parameters and saying, this is what is necessary for our relationship to be restored to the way it was intended. Okay? 
So today we see God instructing Moses to prepare the people by consecrating them and having them go through all the necessary steps to cleanse themselves. Okay? I don't want to focus again on the, the specific instructions today, but rather the intent behind what God is doing for Israel in, in their life and then make application for that about what God's intent for us is in this process. Okay? So in verse 10 and 11, God is giving Moses specific instructions on what they need to do to be ready to encounter God. Okay, so point for number one for today is that God uses us to prepare people to experience himself. Okay, just like God uses Moses to prepare the people, God is going to use us to prepare the people he's put in our lives to experience him. Now, on the surface, that may seem like a very simple task. Okay, however, consider the way in which God chooses to make himself known. Right? We've talked about this a lot before, that it's through us. We've looked in Colossians over and over again that says that Christ in us is the hope of glory. It's the Christ in me that is the hope of glory for the people that God has put in my life. Okay? And so it makes me ask the question, am I putting the proper value on the time that's needed for that to happen in my life? Am I making my relationship with Jesus enough of a priority that, that He is living and overflowing out of me so that the people that God is intending to reveal himself to can experience that, okay? We all know that, that the Holy Spirit lives in us when we come to be believers, right? We understand that. But we see in Scripture so often that Jesus gets alone by himself to spend time with the Father, to commune with the Father, to get direction and instruction from the Father. And if he's the Son of God and needs those things, we certainly do as well. We need to be spending time in the, in the Word and, and in the Spirit and understanding what God is calling us to do. Okay, his purpose in that was to know exactly where, when, how, and with whom God was calling him to go next. Jesus spent that time so that he know where the Father was leading. Okay, and if we are going to lead people to know God, we must know him first. If we're going to lead people to know God, we must know him first. So this, this last two weeks, I've spent a lot of time talking with God and, and with others and thinking and praying about what it means to join God to set people free. But I, I keep coming back and asking myself the question, are, am I, are we putting in the time that's necessary for that? Yesterday, um, I had an interaction with Luke, one of my sons, um, where I had asked the boys to go outside and take care of some chores. Um, I asked Luke to go out and to, to move one of the dogs that was in uh, his grandfather's dog barn because the dog was in their own place. And Luke said, yes, sir, and he left, and he came right back in the door, and he said, as long as you'll sharpen my, sharpen my pocket knife for me when I get back. And I said, Luke, that's not how this relationship works, right? And as soon as those words came out of my mouth, God was like, hey, that's, that's important. You see, when, when God asks us to do something, a lot of times we respond like Luke did. And we say, sure, God, I'll do that, but only if you do this first. And God's saying, that, that's not how this relationship works. You gave yourself to me, which means I am the one that's in control. I am the one that calls the shots. You cannot give somebody directions to a place that you have never been to. Correction. You can give somebody directions, but you can't give them good directions to a place that you've never been to. Okay? And I'm not talking about Grant Parrish directions where you say, take a left at the third pothole. Okay? That's how we do it. And that's a legitimate thing, unless a new pothole is developed, and then it's a problem, okay? All right, so Bethany has called me out on something a lot over life. This is, I'm going to be vulnerable with you guys for a minute and share something with you about my personality that it's not great, okay? She calls it the Butterfield answer, 
There are times in my life, and I'm way better at it now than I used to be, but someone would ask me a question, and I would give them an answer. It didn't mean I knew what I was talking about, but I could certainly make it sound like I did. And as our relationship developed, Bethany kind of started catching on, and she'd be like, wait a minute, how do you know that? I'm like, well, uh, you know, everybody knows that. And she very quickly realized that I was just, you know, spouting out some junk, okay? But in the past, if you asked me a question, whether I knew the answer or not, I would give you one, and I would say it with authority, and then you would take that to the bank. And you can see where that would become a problem very quickly, right? I could, tell, I could just tell you something, you go, okay, cool, and, and it wouldn't be true. Look, we can't just give padded answers and develop shallow relationships and give people answers that we don't really know for ourselves. You can't have somebody in your life that you're pouring into and them ask you a deep question and you give them just some off the top of the head answer because that could mislead them. And we, we cannot be a people that's joining God to set people free if we're not leading people to God. We can't give directions to a place that we've never been. If, if we are speaking truth into someone's life, truth in air quotes for those in podcast land, if we're saying that we're representing God and we're speaking things that we have not experienced or things that we have not heard from the Lord, we're leading people somewhere else other than God. Look, we live in the South and, and for us to, to move out of having those shallow types of relationships can be a huge challenge for us because you know how it is down here, okay? People have a preconceived idea of what it means to be a Christian. We live in the South. We've talked about this before. Most people in the South, if you ask them, are you a believer or do you believe in God, they'll say yes, okay? Whether they believe or not, whether they have a deep relationship or not, the, the standard answer for most people. Now, millennials are a little different than that. You guys think for yourselves, but for people that are my age and older, if you ask them if they're a believer, they will tell you yes most of the time. So how do we break past that facade? How do we break past that culture that for all of my life, the, the proper answer was to say yes, and I go to church twice a year. I totally am into Jesus. How do we get past that? Because if God is calling us to prepare people to know Him, if we stop at that facade, people aren't knowing God. They're knowing an idea about God. They're knowing something that someone told them, one of those Butterfield answers about who God is, but it may not be truth. Last week, Bethany shared a podcast with me that she was listening to, and it had this guest speaker on there who was talking about a new book that she wrote. It's called It's Personal. Five questions you should answer to give every kid hope. Now, this book was written specifically for the area of youth ministry. But as I listened to the podcast and I bought a copy of the book and started reading, these, these ideas are universal no matter what your age are. Okay? And the author starts out the book by describing these shallow relationships that, that we're all familiar with. You know, the, the hey, how you doing today? And someone says, oh, I'm great. And then that's it. Or when you were in college, it was like, oh, what classes are you taking this year? You know, and then they would tell you, and then you move on, and you never speak to that person again. We're, we're familiar with that, right? We know what it feels like to have a really shallow interaction with people. Now, she points out that shallow does have some incredible benefits. There are times where it's necessary for you to be shallow with somebody. And it's good for you to be. If I've had a really tough morning, and I'm mad at all my kids, and I'm upset with my wife, and then we walk into church, and I'm about to preach, and you're like, man, how you doing? I don't want to come in with like, man, my life sucks, my kids don't listen to me. 
Okay, he's not even listening right now. Okay, cool. Sometimes, sometimes we need to put a little filter on the Instagram, right? Sometimes it's okay to be shallow. But we cannot live shallow all the time. As she says in the book, shallowness in small amounts can provide relief, but shallowness all the time leaves us empty because we don't really know each other. Look, if we're never authentic and vulnerable with anyone, we won't be known by anyone. And I know that there are people in my life that I've grown up with, that I've spent a ton amount of time with, and I don't know them. Part of that's my fault, part of it's their fault, but that's not how we were created to live. God did not create us to be simply shallow. He created us to be in loving relationships with Him and with one another. And that is not a shallow thing. God created us. It is in our DNA to be in relationships. And some of us need a lot of people around us and need a lot of relationships. And some of us only need one or two. And that's okay. We're different. But all of us, regardless, at the end of the day, we all need people who know us. So with all of that in mind, how do we use authenticity and vulnerability to prepare people to know God? How do those two things interact? We make things personal. We dig into people's lives as we're invited, okay? Not stalking anybody. But we dig in. Sometimes we invite ourselves into their lives when God is calling us to. And we invest, okay? So why is that necessary? Why do we need to invest in people? Why do we need to move beyond shallowness? It's because a shallow approach to life robs us of any potential to bring hope into people's lives. When we simply live shallow, it robs us of the opportunity to bring hope. Look, you are worth someone's investment, right? You are worth it. I am worth it. And the person that God has called you to prepare is worth your investment. But listen, I I know, I know that investment is hard. I know that moving beyond shallow things, I know that accountability, or not accountability, I know that authenticity is difficult. I know that vulnerability is difficult. But think about this, okay? Shallow is fast. But personal takes time. That's costly. Shallow is easy, but personal is complicated. When someone gives you a, uh, a, a, an answer that's quick and easy, like, how's your day going? You go, man, everything's great. That's easy. But when, when you say to someone, hey, how are you today? And they just fall apart on you, that gets complicated and it gets messy. Shallow is safe, but personal is risky. Shallow is certain and personal is unresolved. Shallow is dismissive, but personal is interested. Shallow is familiar and personal is unpredictable. Shallow costs money, but personal costs me. If we're going to prepare people To know God, 
We must move beyond shallow and into personal. And personal is always difficult. Personal is always an investment. The way we handle our interactions with people determines what and how they experience God. If God's called someone into your life, the way you handle that relationship is going to determine whether or not a person is able to experience God. We prepare them by investing in them, by walking with them, by knowing them. And listen, we, we cannot join God if we only want to do things that are easy. We cannot join God if we only want what is familiar. We cannot join God if we are unwilling to put in the time. And we cannot join God if we are unwilling to make sacrifices. Think about your own life for a moment. Think about your relationship with Jesus. Think about how you matured as a believer. Was there a person in your life that invested in you? That knew you? For most of us, there was. For you, there may not have been. And I pray that God will send someone that can invest in your life. But if I think about my own life, there are key people in my life that invested heavily in me. They knew me. And it has made me to be the person that I am because those people poured themselves and they poured the love of God out into me. And I needed that to grow and to mature. Jesus was incredibly personal when he walked this earth you think about it think about the things that jesus did he touched people who had diseases he spoke respectfully to a scandalous woman he wept at the tomb of a friend he washed the feet of his disciples and why did he do all of that because the relationship that god wants to have with us is personal God did not create us to just set us over here on the earth and just watch from afar. God wants to know us personally and He wants us to know Him. And because of that, He sent Jesus to live very personally, to invest in people. And as I've thought through this message for the last two weeks, I keep asking myself the same question. Are we motivated to do this? Am I motivated to do this? Are we motivated in a way that we are willing to do whatever is required of us in order to prepare people to truly know God? Am I motivated to that? To give up whatever is necessary. My time, my money, my resources. Now listen, let me say this as we talk about motivation. One of our distinctives, something that's incredibly important to who we are as a church, is that our motivation is always the grace of God and nothing else. Our motivation is always the grace of God, the grace that we have been given, okay? But are we allowing Jesus to speak into our lives often enough that we are reminded of that grace? We can't just have a one-time experience of grace with God and then think that that's all we ever need for the rest of our lives. I don't know about you, but daily when I get in the Word, I am convicted of sin in my life. God is pointing out things that, that are not good about me. And as I, as I think through those things, as I mourn those things, as I repent of those things, I get a fresh experience of God's grace. And that motivates me to share that with other people. 
to know that, that I am a sinful man, but in the middle of that, God loves me. That brings hope into my life. And if we're not spending time in the Word, we cannot be motivated by what we don't know. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 1-8 through 8 with me. This is by far one of my favorite books in the whole Bible. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1-8. through 8. It says, My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. And we can be sure that we know Him if we obey His commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But if those who obey God's Word truly show how completely they love Him, this is how we know we are living in Him. Those who say they live in God should never live their... Excuse me. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it is an old one you have heard from the very beginning. This old commandment to love one another is the same message you heard before. Yet it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment and you are also living it. For the darkness is disappearing and the true light is already shining. If we are not regularly in the Word, we are going to become desensitized to the sin that's in our own lives and in the world around us. Look, the reason that so many people claim to be Christians but don't truly know God is because they are not in the Word. They are not spending time with the Father. And John is not just talking about the Big Ten Commandments that we're going to talk about later, okay? Which is, by the way, you know, those are just like the bare minimum. That's not like the end-all, be-all, just do these ten things and you're good. That was God establishing a level playing field and say, okay, to start with, let's do these ten things. If you can do these ten things, we'll be moving in that direction. They're like a a rough outline of the most incredible love story that's ever been written, okay? Remember last week we talked about, or two weeks ago, we talked about the rich young ruler? He had kept the Ten Commandments but was unwilling to give up his possessions to follow Jesus. Look, this is the very reason why Jesus tells all the commandments are taken care of if we will focus on on just two. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, if you just do those two things, all the rest of that is going to be covered. We cannot know God. We cannot love God or prepare people to know God And love God if we aren't making it personal for God ourselves. All of this begins. We can't join God if we, in setting people free, if we are not personal with God. Our motivation to be personal comes from knowing that God is personal with us. That's our motivation. Our motivation is the grace that we receive daily by doing personal things with the Lord. And the overflow of that is that we are so excited about the hope that is brought into our lives, the joy that is brought in our lives, that we cannot help but do that for other people. I don't know about you, but there is an incredible amount of joy when I get to help somebody when they can't help themselves. We spent a couple of weekends ago, we spent the whole weekend working at my little brother's house, putting a floor in so they can get ready for a baby. And I loved it. 
It's in my wheelhouse. It's something I know how to do. But more than that, I was doing something that my brother cannot do for himself because he's in Houston taking care of a baby. God has people in our lives that desperately need hope. For Jacob, that floor was not just a floor. It was turning his home into a place that wasn't suitable for a special needs child into one that is. He needed the hope because he could not do it himself. People in our lives are thirsty for hope. And our motivation needs to be from our relationship with God, the grace that we are given daily, and then sharing that with others. In verse 6 of that, in 1 John chapter 2, he says, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Jesus was personal. We are called to be personal. Point number two, it's the last one for today. God uses us to provide a safe meeting place. God uses us to provide a safe meeting place. So God, again, gives Moses these specific instructions about where Israel can and cannot go when he comes to the mountain, okay? And God knows that once he's on the mountain, that people are going to be curious. They're going to want to see all that they can see of God. But God's given Moses this commandment that they are not allowed to, that they are to be killed if they go past the mark, okay? And so two things could happen. People can rush in and they would have to die, or the people would be afraid of what they see and what they hear and they would run away. So the instruction that God gives Moses to provide for a safe way for Israel to experience God, okay? The instructions that God gives Moses is to provide a safe way for Israel to experience God. God has given us similar uh, instructions on how we are to prepare people to meet him. God's instructed for us to use our homes as a safe place to encounter him. Look, the reason that our life group meets in homes is because it's safer feeling for those who've either had no experience or bad experiences in the church. It's safer for them to go into a home than it is to go into a church. It is our job as members of these life groups to make sure that they function and that they feel safe. It's important that we do our part to make sure that it's a safe place for people to be authentic and vulnerable. Look, I, I'm again going to admit something, and this is going to be shocking to you guys, those that know me, that, but I, I'm very sarcastic and dry, okay? And, and to the point that my wife makes me, typically when I meet someone, she's like, please tell them how sarcastic you are so that they will know that you're not just being a jerk, okay? It's to that point, and, and I'm a lot better than I used to be, if that tells you anything, but there have been times in my life, there's a couple of people in my mind in particular that my desire to be funny was more of a priority for me than them knowing who God was. And I drove them away. And that's a hard pill to swallow. As I look back on my life and I reflect on those things, it's hurtful because I know where those people are in life. And I know that it's not all my fault, but I know I played a big role in it. Because I was more concerned about myself than I was about those people. Look, we need to be asking ourselves and God if there are things about how we interact with people that are causing harm. Okay, and look, I'm not, just, there's not a person in here that I'm thinking of when I'm saying that, okay? I'm saying we need to be reflective. We need to be thinking about the ways we treat others and how that comes across. And, and you may be wonderful, perfect at how you handle guests when they come into your life group, but you may 
be real sarcastic like I am and be messing with somebody and the person sees your interaction with that other person, they don't understand the dynamic there. They don't understand all the, the jokes and all the things that are in your past. They just see like me being a jerk with Anthony Bruno because that's how we love on each other. And they go, man, that's not the kind of place I want to be. Because they don't know that Anthony and I, he's not even in here, I'm wasting it. They don't know that Anthony and I, that, that's, how we, that's how we communicate. There's Anthony right there, I was picking on him. <laughs> it's good, I'll tell you later. <laughs> I was talking about how we pick on each other and that's how we love each other. Yeah, see? Makes perfect sense now. Okay. So, Bryn Brown in a book called Daring Greatly, says vulnerability is the birthplace of love, belonging, joy, courage, empathy, and creativity. It is the source of hope, empathy, accountability, and authenticity. If we want greater clarity in our purpose or deeper and more meaningful spiritual lives, vulnerability is the path. Look, our goal in life groups is to provide an environment where a person can be vulnerable where they can ask incredibly hard questions where they can be loved by the people in that group and where they can experience God look I I know you've heard me say this over and over and over again and it's because God keeps preaching it to me over and over and over again but it's not about us when we go to life groups we are going to learn we are going to experience God but our focus can't be on ourselves that will happen naturally right we will be fed naturally. We've talked about this when we talk about relationships all the time, that if, if two people in a relationship are constantly worried about themselves, both of them fail, feel and are uncared for. But if we, in a relationship, will care for one another, both of our needs will be taken care of. And the same is true in our life groups. We need to make sure that we, when we're at life group, that we're not making it about us. Now listen, there's going to be times where you've had a bad day and you need to be vulnerable And you need to be authentic with people in your life group. And I'm not saying don't be that. I'm saying that when you're there, make sure that the way that you're interacting with people is communicating love. Look, our life groups are awesome. Okay? There's no doubt about it. If you've ever been to one, you know how much fun they are, how much vulnerability there is, and how much authenticity there is. And and there's no hidden agenda in this message. This is not me trying to get in the side door and say you guys are all doing things wrong that's not it okay I am just encouraging our groups my group your group to just sometimes take a step back and examine all of it I I don't know about you guys I hope the life group leaders do this on their own but anytime whether I'm standing here or it's on a Wednesday night with youth ministry or it's a one-on-one meeting with somebody as soon as those things are over I take a step back and I examine the whole thing and I debrief And I ask God, what are the things that went really well about this experience? And what are the things that did not go really well? And the reason for that is so that I can make adjustments necessary to make the next experience even better. It's not about trying to just check some stuff off the list. It's about this love, this motivation in my heart is that I will communicate well with the people that God's put in my life. And part of that process is me taking a step back and going, okay, did I love well in this situation in your life group when when it's over and you're on the way home think to yourself how did that go did the people in that room feel love life life group leaders this is an important thing but it's also for all the members because we all play a role in those 
And I can tell you from experience, the only way that we're ever going to get better at any of this stuff is by evaluating how we did through the lens of the Holy Spirit. Let Him lead that process, but we need to do that. It's necessary. If we're going to create environments that are safe for people to feel vulnerable, then we have to examine all the time. Okay? We've got to take a step back. That's part of being in ministry, is to look at the things that God's doing and making sure that we're being obedient in the way that He's called. Okay? Look, my hope is that we dig in and make things personal with people that God's put in our lives. That our groups can be so in tune with one another that when there is a moment that needs to be tender, everybody realizes that as it's happening. Look, there's nothing worse, guilty right here, than trying to you know, be in the middle of a group and you say something that's meant to be funny and it just stabs somebody right in the heart. I- I'm guilty of that. And I know I'm not the only one in the room. But we need to be paying attention and we need to be focusing on the interactions, the emotions that are happening in that setting so that each of us is fulfilling our call to love that person in the best way that's possible. Look, all of these things are not easy, okay? There's an expectation from God that that we will continue to grow in our maturity, right? There's an expectation from God that we're going to continue to grow. And that is going to be both in our personal development, our spiritual lives, but also in how we interact with one another. If you think that you've got this whole relationship thing down pat, you're wrong. Sorry, but you are. We all are growing constantly. And and here's what happens. If you've been in any kind of long-term relationship, you know that they only get better with time. If both of you are loving on each other and pouring into each other, that's in marriages and dating relationships, maybe with your dog, whatever, I don't know. But, But with the people in your life group, as you continue to grow with one another, Those relationships get deeper and they get better. Look, at the end of the day, I want you to hear this. God has us doing this study because there are people in our lives that need hope, they need freedom, and they need love. And we are the people that God has chosen to put in their lives to show them that. Let's pray. Father, it is a a weighty call for us to, to understand, to realize that there are people in our lives who desperately need the hope of the gospel. That they need to know the truth about who you are. But God, it doesn't need to be weighty. It doesn't need to feel that way. What we need to feel is, is the grace, is the love, is the hope that you've brought to us. And then just share that with people. God, I, I pray that, that in our minds that this would just be so simple. That as you are drawing us to yourself, Father, that you would be drawing people to you and that you would speak very clearly about the role that we're to play in those relationships. That you'd give us clear insight on the the way in which we are to interact with one another. God, I pray for our life groups. I ask, Father, that those would be places of authenticity. That that would just continue to be uh, a deeper and deeper level than they already are. Father, I pray for our leaders today. Lord, I ask that you would allow them to just take a step back and see the whole picture of what you're doing in their groups. And God, I ask that you would teach us to be personal, that we would move beyond just shallow relationships and into the depth that you are calling us.